the first uh, seven weeks have been extremely popular. I don't do any advertising outside of telling people that I have this. And we already have 2,500 subscribers. It's totally free. So there's no uh, cost. There's no advertising. It's just like a gift. Welcome everybody to the Strategy Show. I'm your host, Simon Severino. Excited to have today the author of Restoring the Soul of Business. He is also senior advisor to the Publicis Group, where he spent 40 years as chief growth officer and chief strategist. Welcome everybody, Rishat Tobakowala. Thank you for having me. So cool to have you here. And uh, what are you currently creating? Currently, the biggest thing I'm creating is a new newsletter, which people can get at rishad.substack.com. That's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. I started it seven weeks ago. And uh, to help people on a weekly basis uh, see, think, and feel differently, about how to grow themselves and their careers. So the first uh, seven weeks have been extremely popular. I don't do any advertising outside of telling people that I have this. And we already have 2,500 subscribers. It's totally free. So there's no uh, cost. There's no advertising. It's just like a gift. And uh, I've spoken about everything from six ways to enhance your career six ways to improve yourself, uh, six things to do over the next six months, which will be very much similar to what the past six months have been for most of us in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, what people find interesting and exciting is I also speak about everything from cartoons to jazz music to poetry. Love so it. it's a, it tries to be something that invigorates your mind and your heart and it usually works at least the early feedback i love it so it's rishat dot substack.com so r-i-s-h-a-d dot s-u-b-s-t-a-c-k dot com and it's completely free and uh you know then you can look at the archives and uh it's been popular enough that i've taken some of them already after first six weeks and remixed and jazzed them up into adobe spark documents so they're like little e-booklets that uh, people can read. And um, I'll make sure you have them so they're in the show notes for people. Beautiful. And your first CEO to explore the opposite. Yes. So today we are living in a world which because of technology has become more polarized than ever before. So whether we like it or not, we are surrounded either by people, viewpoints, or feelings that do one of two things. They make us feel good about ourselves and they support our point of view. So you find that when you look at your Facebook feed, Twitter feed, Google page, pretty much everything. Um, they make you feel so good that you sometimes think that your flatulence smells like Chanel 5. They basically say whatever you think is cool. Uh, the second is 
also what is basically happening is in addition to social media, in addition to technology, uh, we are also beginning to not think for ourselves. So I came up with the idea of whatever you are thinking about, can you build a case for the exact opposite? And if you cannot build a case for the exact opposite, how do you know you're right? Because if you're right, you need to know what the other side looks like and why they may think you're wrong and how have you come to it. And uh, it's been one of the uh, sort of tactics or I guess tips that has helped a lot of people because sometimes it has helped them make better sales. It has made them develop better strategies. So if you're a C-level executive of the smallest company in the world, which is a company of one or a large company, the ability to think the opposite side will also help you attract and retain talent. Because if you do not surround yourself with people who question you, you might as well just be sitting in front of a mirror. And too many people hire people who are mirrors. They just reflect back what the boss thinks. I love it. Some, some people say, I have a theory. And then I usually say, you don't have a theory. You might have an assumption, but it's not validated yet. And it's not even a hypothesis right now. It's not even an assumption if you cannot state the opposite. Right. So how will you validate it if you don't state the opposite? If you, if you can't state the opposite and it just stretches your mind and it forces you to think differently. Yeah, absolutely. Einstein had a theory, but most of us have assumptions and we need to write them down. And especially we need to validate the opposite. Beautiful. So if you can invalidate it, then you are right. Right. Beautiful. You have also a second CEO tip for us that transformation is about people. Yes. So a lot of people truly believe that companies change when they do the following things. They either change their leader, they do an M&A or change their strategy, and often they reorganize and put out press releases. None of those ever makes a company transform because transformation happens when the people in the organization change. So even when you have a individual who is extremely talented like Satya Nadella, when he basically took over Microsoft, it, he was a, a new leader, but he had been there for 25 years. But what really made the company change is he changed everything from the way they were evaluated. He changed stack ranking. He basically gave them books and said, we're gonna go from a know-it-all mindset to a learn-it-all mindset. He basically said, we have to reinvent our future, so we all have to think differently. So one way to do that is to stop and disassemble the Windows operating division, which was the equivalent of basically saying, I'm going to remove the heart of my body because that's the way I'm gonna go into the future. And he brought all of his company along. He provided training, he provided new incentives, and Microsoft has been revitalized. Most of them are the same people, highly talented, and uh, their stock price has gone up four times in the last five years, I believe, um, after being pretty flat for 10 years under Steve Ballmer. And simply what he did was he transformed people's minds and hearts 
as much as he basically said, let's double down on the cloud. Powerful. Before we go to your third CEO tip, we pass by the strategy award. If you can only pick one person that is doing things really differently, when everybody is zigging, this person is zagging. Who is that person? So I'm going to go back a little into the past because the person is continuing to do this. But when he first started doing this about eight, nine years ago, people thought he was crazy. Uh, and, uh, and now he isn't. Uh, so he's basically, his name is Shantanu Naran, and he's the CEO of Adobe. And he did the following strategic moves, which he continues to do to this day. His big strategic move was Adobe, if you remember, his big products was Photoshop, which you bought at a store for three, $400. He decided to put that into the cloud and move it to a subscription model for $9 a month or so when he first started. As a result, people said he had got crazy because he was replacing $400 of revenue with $9 a month, but $9. It would take three to four years to get the $400 back. His stock price fell, and people said, what was he doing? He basically saw that subscription, right, and continuous revenue was the right model to go. And this way he could also enhance and improve the product on the fly. He didn't have to wait for a year. He foresaw the growth of e-commerce and he realized that he didn't want to be reliant on CopyEgg and all these other shops that eventually have gone out of business. And he had a direct relationship with all of his customers. He didn't have to depend on anybody else. Since then, he's made again and again dramatic changes. Everything from buying Omniture and getting into the data world, uh, buying Marketo, buying a whole bunch of other companies. And so right now, what used to be a shrink-wrapped Photoshop company has things like Document Cloud built around PDFs, Marketing Cloud, Creative Cloud, and what people do not realize, having just spoken about Microsoft, the second largest enterprise company in market cap in the world is Adobe. And that's the one thing that you should look at. Uh, stock prices go up and down, but market cap tells you tells you a lot of, of yes. Good. Beautiful. So thank you for nominating him. And um, you have also brought to us something about the future and how it doesn't work and how it could work. You want to make your sales more repeatable and reliable? Do you want to have less volatility and more growth in your revenue per month? At Strategy Sprints, we do only one thing, strategy and sprints. Strategy means having more revenue through a better offer. In sprints means having more energy in your team every week. Check out if your ROI is as high as it is for most service-based and online businesses and startups we work with, which is over 100%. 
You can see it in just 15 minutes by going to strategiesfriends.com sales and completing our online exercise to know what your ROI would be with our accelerator program. We are ready to sprint. Are you? So one of the lines that I came up with a few years ago was the future does not fit in the containers of the past. And I realized that many of us who are trying to make change happen were not realizing that the way our organizations had been created, our staff had been trained, and we had been incentivized was to maximize today's models or yesterday's models and not tomorrow's models. An example is Procter & Gamble's Gillette is a terrific company, great technology, and P&G is a fantastic company with very smart people. They were incentivized to continuously basically raise the price and improve the performance of blades. So, you know, you had two blades, three blades, four blades, five blades, heated blades, moving blades, but that was what it was. And blade prices got so expensive that if you wanted to buy five pack of razor, it cost over $25, and you basically had to get it specially opened, you know, for you, or almost $20, not over $25. And at the same time, a new world was being opened with YouTube, social media, right? And coming out of the recession, people's mindsets had changed and people were a little bit more value conscious. So new companies like Dollar Shave Club and Harry's were born. Now make no mistake, Procter & Gamble knew about Harry's, knew about Dollar Shave Club. In fact, someone at P&G had come up with the idea for Dollar Shave Club before Dollar Shave Club was born. So why didn't they do it? And A.G. Laffley, who was then the CEO, has said that one of his biggest mistakes. Two reasons. A, they were built to basically enhance the performance of the blade versus sell a blade that was pretty good at a good price. So that was the reverse strategy. It was Their idea was the best blade at a good price versus an okay blade at a fair price, number one. Number two, they were incented to ship towards Walmart, Walgreens, and this was a subscription model, no stores. Three, they were driven by television advertising, and for a long time they didn't see the power of sampling through social media and the ability for the CEO of YouTube, or CEO of uh, Dollar Shave Club to do funny commercials on YouTube, which then scaled across social media. So they were built around scale-based advertising, distribution through stores, and superior products at superior prices. They lost 15 share points. They had to take down the valuation of Gillette, which they had bought by billions of dollars, all because their future did not fit in the containers of the past. Powerful. What is one book that inspired you on a personal level? Uh, there have been many books that have inspired me, but one that has inspired me is a book called Creativity Incorporated. And it is by a gentleman called Ed Catmull, who is one of the co-founders along with Steve Jobs and John Lasseter of Pixar. 
And he talks about how you foster and support creativity, how you nurture ideas, how you take risks, and the importance of creative cultures and uh, of marrying what I believe is state-of-the-art technology with amazing storytelling. So when you see, for instance, the first few minutes of Up, where if you remember the movie, it's a gentleman recounting his life as his wife has, you know, from when he met his wife to the time he's, uh, she passed away. It's about three or four minutes, and it's a quote-unquote cartoon, and it has no words. And it is the, some of the most powerful storytelling and emotion. It's not about technology. It's about people and how they use cutting-edge technologies. They say, we are a storytelling company and we're a technology company. And how they come up with creativity and how they take risks and how he considers an idea to be a baby. When it comes out, it's really ugly and screams and you don't want to think about it. And so I've used that often in all aspects of growing people or protecting ideas. And it was one of the driving forces of my book, which is how do you combine the story and the spreadsheet? Beautiful. Let's, let's go to your book, the Restoring the Soul of Business. Why yes. did you write it in the first place? I wrote it for uh, three different reasons. The first reason I wrote it was because I was beginning to get worried that more and more companies were tilting towards the spreadsheet of the data side as data became more prevalent and important and were forgetting the culture of a place, the purpose of a place, the people of a place, which I call the story side. And I had begun to see that the most successful companies were ones who combined story and spreadsheet. Companies like an Adobe, like a Microsoft, like a Domino's, like a Southwest. But these companies were tilting more and more towards the spreadsheet. And I began to realize that data, while it was important, like electricity, it was not a differentiator. You couldn't differentiate your company by the way it uses electricity. Very few companies do that. So yes, there are a few technology companies that have data as a separator, clearly the big ones like an Amazon, Facebook, Google, but very few companies actually separate themselves on data usage. So yes, data is important. It's like electricity, you can't do without it. But whoever told you that just because you have data, you can win. And so they were tilting towards too much towards the data. And I was seeing that I needed to sort of tell people, hey, look, it's not working right. The second reason I, I wrote the book was for many years, uh, the last eight, 10 years of my career, as I was flying around the world, and I would speak, people said, how come you've never written some of these things? Because the way you're thinking about it is different, but you also speak in English. It's very simple. You don't use terms. You simplify stuff. It's actionable. And we need ways to improve ourselves while you write a book. So that was the second reason. And the third reason was I was starting to think about my next career. And the idea was after 40 years working at Publicis, which I continue to be an advisor for, I wanted to do something where I was going to do something by myself, right? Uh, and be just a company of one versus being in a company of 80,000. And I thought it would be a good time to write the book that people had asked me to write. But I even tried to reinvent the way the book was written in the fact that it is 12 chapters where you could read any chapter in any order. 
So it's like a Spotify playlist. Each chapter is freestanding at its own. And it has been very successful. And a lot of people have been buying it not only for themselves, but for their companies, especially small companies are buying it for themselves because it costs about 10 bucks these days, 10 US dollars. And, you know, and, and it's available everywhere in the world in every format. But what basically happens is I truly believe, as a CFO told me, this book increases the productivity of my company by 5% as soon as people finish reading it. Because it, it talks about things like how do you manage change so it sucks less? How do you upgrade your mental operating system? So it basically teaches people on how to get better right, mentally and how they can build skill sets, which are so, so important. Uh, how to lead with soul. What is a good boss? What is a bad boss? Right? And then how to think about the future. Because we, we don't do a good enough job, most of us, thinking about the future. Because A, we're going to spend the rest of our lives there, so we should be thinking about it. But we confuse trend reports with the future. So we basically have a bunch of statistics and trends. But that isn't the way to think about and operate in the future. How do you actually build a unified perspective of the future that helps you actually compete and win? And I talk about strategy. So this is strategy. I define strategy as three simple words, future competitive advantage. And I explain why and how to think about it. And so a lot of people, and that's again why I've even started the newsletter, because people said, this is so cool. Can you keep writing? And so I said, yes, I'll keep writing, but now I'm going to write it in the newsletter. Um, uh, you know, it's sort of modern thinking. And so that is why I wrote the book. And The Economist recently compared it to books by Mark Benioff from Salesforce, a lot of other books that said this is the best book when it comes to thinking about how to grow a company with where the future is going. And I specifically wrote it for companies from a size of one to a size of 80 to 100,000. <laughs> Did you test the 12 chapters as 12 blocks on Substack? Uh, what, I, what I basically did was when I started to write the book, I had been writing a blog for eight years. So I, I knew certain things worked and certain things didn't work. But what I was also testing were in talks and speeches that I was giving. So, you know, Scott, I love that from like Scott Galloway because he puts up YouTubes and in particular YouTube does well. He then writes a book on that. Uh, I didn't do that. But my stuff is if I give a talk and it and there's a lot of residents and I then take it to different countries because I when we used to travel, I used to travel a lot. So I would go all over the world. And by its very nature, I would work with small companies, large companies, you know, all, and I began to realize that there were four questions that everyone in business were asking. And people were not answering them straight in applicable ways that they can say, okay, I got it, now I can use it, right? So my whole stuff was, how do I both inspire and initiate action, right? Not just say, okay, that's interesting. Okay, and what are you going to do about it, uh, which, which, is, which is important. But as much as, and by the way, here are some tools that you can figure out new things that I even didn't ever think about because you know your business, you know your company, you, you know your category or your country. But these are things to think about when you apply them. But I'm not giving you the answer. I'm giving you some tools. There are other tools, obviously, we'll, you'll have. And the four areas really are simply about how do I manage change, right? How do I grow? How do I personally grow? There's a huge thing. How do, I, how do I personally grow? Both as a 
as a person and as a, a skill set. So I have importance of art in business, right? I have a chapter called People Dream, Robots Compute. You know, try to sort of explain uh, entire aspect. Uh, there's obviously how do you lead, which is extremely important in today's where we have a you know leadership crisis, and just you know, other perspectives about the future. One of which is probably the very interesting chapter, but it's the chapter that people find interesting. But I find okay, it's called too much math, too little meaning. And I have an advanced degree in mathematics. I have an MBA in finance and i led a lot of the data driven initiatives at publicis including was involved in a small way in the four billion dollar acquisition of epsilon so i know something about data so i basically say but that's not enough that's just math how do you get meaning from math right and so i, sh I give six steps of how to break take any math and convert it into meaning which i call the six eyes and that's what I mean by basically saying I show the perspective, give you a way to think about it. You apply it, you iterate, you change. You say, okay, this part works, that part doesn't work. And as a result, more and more people are just buying it for their entire companies. And it's selling well primarily because someone says, hey, I buy a $10 book. And if the average employee costs me $50,000 and they improve by 5%, I get $2,500 of return every year for a $10 investment. What's not to like? Spreadsheet and story. I love it. This is this is your take on it. And it's really what a company is all about. The story yes. and the spreadsheet. Yes. The why and how you execute it. Yes. Right? And so this is amazing. And we have in our program, we, we coach business owners, and we have in our program people who are great with story and then they really don't want to deliver the spreadsheets so because yes. every seven days we want three numbers from them they can pick the number at the beginning but for 12 weeks they will report every seven days the progress of these three numbers and you cannot imagine how much resistance some people have against that yes but it's about the long-term story yes of course it's about the long-term story but what is the number of this week yes and in fact the way i explain it is Companies that are all about story are companies like WeWork. Exactly. Companies that are all about spreadsheet are companies like Wells Fargo <laughs> that basically open up fake accounts and everyone gets incentivized to do stuff and they do stupid things, right? Companies that combine the two are like Southwest. So, and you can see category after category, United Airlines was too much about math, Southwest combined the two, right? Till Walmart got a new CEO, it was too much about the math. Costco combined the two. Uh, and so does Best Buy. And what I found amazing is so many of us, because there's so much information coming, and all of us are really smart and really intelligent, but we get somewhat confused with all the information and perspectives, is what I tried to do was simplify without dumbing down so i would try to like get down to core things that people should be thinking about without dumbing them down and saying here are ways to these are the things you should be thinking about and here are some ways of thinking about them by the way here are other things that you should go to think about them because i can't tell you all the ways this is what individual but these are the things that matter okay and why don't you interrogate and see the they matter or not 
And this is the biggest thing that people don't realize that mostly even if you're in a small company and it's even bigger in a slightly larger company, most of the time people don't do anything really in a company but shuffle paper, right? Have meetings and no one is actually making forward motion because nobody has decided what are the four or five key things we should be doing today or now, right? They swirl around and they have what I call haraka baraka, which is they believe that motion is blessing. People tell me about how many meetings they go to, how important they are, how book their calendar is. And my, I have a book, on, an entire chapter on time management. I said, if you have a calendar that's completely booked, it basically means you're not the boss. The calendar is the boss, right? You have basically become a slave to a calendar and almost nothing in the calendar actually makes any sense. And by the way, if tomorrow you die, the world will go on. Everything will still work. So now let's look again and say, what if your calendar had nothing in it? And now you start putting things back in. How about starting that way? And that just these dramatic things, which people don't realize the only thing we have is time, right? And we don't think about it that way. So it's, it's, a, it's sort of this philosophy, um, which is unusual. And because it doesn't have any, and it has no politics, it has no hatred, it has no like, right? So it's an evergreen book. Uh, which has been selling well just because of discovery. People read it and say, yeah, this isn't about, you know, Trump, or this isn't about how Facebook sucks, or this isn't about marketing. Uh, it's just like, hey, how do you get better? How do you grow? Here's one person's ideas. <laughs> Love it. And how did you approach the question of self-publishing or publisher? What's your take on that? So uh, when I began writing, I did an investigation of self-publishing, small publisher, and big publisher, because there are those were the three angles. Um, and I very quickly decided, once I put a book proposal together with the help of someone who knows how to put book proposals, that in the ideal world, I would like to get a big publisher versus a small publisher or self-publishing for the book. And the reason was twofold. The first reason was I needed somebody to let me know if it was worth actually publishing. Because when you self-publish, like I write my email newsletter, fortunately, people read it. But I could be writing gibberish, but who the hell cares? So, I, so the, the idea is I, I wanted someone to basically say, We'll put money behind this. And so that was number one. But the second was I began to realize that the large publishing houses had amazing editors. So it could significantly enhance my product if I could get a great editor. Um, people say you get lost in it. They don't have great marketing. So I said, don't worry about that. That I can do. But what I can't do is I can't have quality control and I can't get like this is good enough with it and someone to improve my product. I was fortunate that I got Penguin Random House and HarperCollins, which are two of the larger companies, interested in a conversation. And HarperCollins gave me an advance to write the book. Uh, but I've had friends who've done small publishers very successfully. And I self-publish. When you think about my blog and my newsletter, I self-publish. So I'm not opposed to any of these. But what I will tell you is when you have a major publication a major publisher publishing your book, and it's available all over the world and in airports and on stores and 
my book launched in January when all these things were open, you know, January, February, early March. Um, there is a certain sense where people actually take you more seriously than if you had just done it by yourself, right? Where, where people say, okay, HarperCollins published you, it's all over the world, it's distributed. Rashad, maybe you know how to write. Maybe you are not as stupid as you look, right? Uh, so, but you don't have to do that. I, again, I self-publish, and it's very likely, like I'm doing these little e-booklets and things like that. Um, it's fantastic, uh, and and the the reality of it is, unless you have a major book, which sells you know hundreds of thousands or millions of copies, mine mine has sold over ten thousand copies. It's almost twenty thousand copies, which is a great thing for like six months out, and there'll be a paperback coming out, etc. So I'll, you know, have a good good sales, get back all my advance. I mean, they'll have everything will be fine, much and exactly what the publisher wants. But very few books sell. You know, most nonfiction books sell if they're if you're lucky, five thousand in all formats across all time, right? You know, if I'm lucky, I'd probably get to ten times that number, like fifty thousand, right? But that's how a book that sells 15, 20, 25,000 is considered a very successful book in nonfiction. But if you think about the fact that most nonfiction, most books, you get about two to three dollars, right? Even if you sell 30, 40,000 dollar books over three, two or two years, it's fifty thousand dollars. So you're going to live on. It's very hard to live on that. So self-publishing or publishing doesn't make the economic difference. What makes the economic difference is what you build around it, which is you know, speaking and advice and a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, in my particular case, mine was it was more of a gift because I was fortunate. I've had a very successful career. So the monetization of the book wasn't the important thing. It was an interesting way of giving back and staying connected to the world in my next career. But what you need to ask if you're an author or hoping to be an author, and all of us have some book in us, it may even if it's a booklet, is how do you want to use it and make absolutely certain that when you're writing it, you're writing it for the reader and not for yourself? Because too many books are written as vanity projects, right? And many of those vanity projects end up in self-publishing. And that's what I didn't want to do because I didn't want this to be a vanity project. I wanted someone to say this is worth doing. And yeah, and you you are reliable. You, you walk the talk because now you want to hear if the opposite is right and you want to validate that somebody yeah. is going to put skin in the game. Yes. So your first validation, because if somebody says, I'm in it, I put right. money in it, then you know that the market... Uh, exactly, is there's a market and they give you an advance or they give you editors or they publish or they print and they take risks. Uh, that was my thing, which is I thought it was great, but what if it sucks? Let me go ask someone else. Beautiful, wonderful. And uh, what did you recently change your mind about? So there are a couple of things that I've recently changed my mind about. Uh, the first thing I've changed, I'm in the process of changing my mind about, was I was not, I, I always believed that sooner or later, people in the United States, of which I happen to be a citizen now, would begin to realize that our current leader is not qualified, okay? Uh, and my stuff is it's so clear, people will see it. I am now less 
clear if that is actually true. Uh, because I'm now beginning to believe that reality doesn't suit the human condition. We prefer leave, living in fantasy. And where fantasy and reality have started to blur is in the real world. Like I have always basically said, I read books and magazines and more importantly, I watch movies and novels because it builds a fantasy world, which is great to get into. But increasingly, in a celebrity-driven age, we are living more and more in a fantasy world. And at least for me, and this is not necessarily political, but my basic belief is we have a real disease called COVID-19. There's a way to sort of offset it wearing masks, right? Uh, just simple fact. But the fact that half of America refuses to believe that's true after 200,000 people's death has made me change my mind about how I always said reality has a habit of breaking in and truth will beat everything. I'm a little less sure about that, unfortunately. So that, that, that is sort of one thing I've, I've changed my mind about. I really haven't because I can't even like disrupt my mental operating system to think that truth doesn't matter, but I'm, affected by that that sort of one uh which is which is you know i mean 42 percent of the united states still wants trump as the president right and i and by the way i happen to be a free market oriented i'd like to pay less taxes all of that kind of stuff but at some particular stage my whole thing is how is this good for the country now but i have to recognize 42 percent think exactly the other so i've actually built a case as to why they're right you know, using one of my original things. But even after I built the strongest case, I still can't get my mind around it. And the second thing that I've changed my mind about, you know, recently is I always thought that the way you built a career was in a company, even if it's a company of small company, like two people, three people, four people, five people. I'm now increasingly beginning to believe that in the future, all of us are going to be companies of one. Okay, uh, even if we're working in a company of 60 or 70,000, and the reason is because all of us are going to be working. If you're young, you're going to work, you're going to have a 50 year career. Someone like me who's finished 37 years, hopefully, will have another 10 or 12 years. So it's a 50 year career. Uh, but increasingly, also due to COVID 19, most companies are thinking about how to have flexible workforces, keep their costs low, plug and play workers all over the world. So in many ways, we have become talent in the cloud. And people are going to basically have talent as a service. And therefore, you want to make sure that you hone yourself into a wonderful company of one with skill sets and APIs. And it's already begun to happen and has happened for many years in the movie industry where people gather around projects even in consulting, where even though you work at a beta and a McKinsey, you consult around projects. I think that's going to happen. So even if you're in a company of 20 or 100,000, you have to think of yourself as a company of one. That doesn't necessarily mean selfish. It means you have to be known for certain skill sets. You have to be known for good collaboration. You've got to be known for integrity and trust, which will make you do in any company. But this whole idea that the future is less fact and truth driven as I thought and 
maybe the future is about a company of one are two of the things I'm grappling with today. Absolutely. And since you are in the US, what, how is it possible that there is just story and no spreadsheet and even the debate and, and even the lies and the more he lies, the more. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, the problem, the more he lies, the credibility doesn't go down. So the, credi the credibility doesn't go down because what happens is at some particular stage, what has happened is politics and celebrity have become a modern form of religion. Okay. And religion is very powerful. But if you think about it, religion is built primarily around stories. Okay. Because there's less facts and some of the things in the stories are not necessarily factual, but the power of religion and why religion has continued to do intensely well, regardless of what the religions are, is it, it, it delivers on three key things. The first, it basically, almost all religion is asking people, asking people to think beyond themselves, to think about other people, right? Which is, you know, be good to your neighbor, all of those things. The second is almost all religions are thinking in long term. Think about what will happen to your children, what happened, you know. So there's a, there's a history to religion. There is a think about other people to religion. And then almost every religion is how do you get better as a person, right? And all religion points to some forms of integrity. That makes religion powerful. So it's a story that basically says, think the long term, think about other people, try to get better. These modern religions are don't think about other people. Other people suck. And what can we do today? Let's not think in the long run. Right. So it's an anti-religion using religion, which has basically to a certain extent been particularly flamed and fed by a combination of mass media in the United States, like Fox, social media, like Facebook, right? And as a result, people are getting into their minds. I've written this entire thing, which is our minds are being colonized by streams of information. You know, when people basically said, you are what you eat. So my stuff is you think based on what's going into your eyes and you are controlling it less and less because an algorithm is determining what you are seeing, what you are watching. And those algorithms are optimized to just do two things, keep you engaged. And the way to do that is to make you say one, make you feel good. So it's all products and services and people who agree with you or to enrage you. And there's nothing in between. And so when you take modern mass media and there's a human thing that wants to basically say, I want it now, I, it's all about me and everybody else is the enemy because that same thing is in our DNA. Part of our survival mechanism is some of those things are in our DNA. These media feed that part of our DNA, right? And so this story becomes really powerful. So I'm always for the story of religion, but this has become a new type of religion. But it's a personal religion versus a community, a historic and a religion religion.
This is powerful, and this might explain why the scratch is, is not even on the table anymore. Not yes, yes, because, because what happens is in regular religions, you don't do spreadsheet outside of like raising money for the church or raising money, you know, for, for whatever. You don't basically sort of have it. So every sort of religion, whether it's Judaism or whatever, the, the idea basically is to think beyond the number. <laughs> but at, it's a, one of the few places where it kind of makes sense. But now when you do it on a personal level, it makes no sense. Then you end up basically saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. Uh, and I'm going to basically elect someone who's clearly, at least hasn't paid his taxes, is incompetent, doesn't like you, potentially is a racist. And here's the United States of America, the world's greatest democracy, with 40% of the people thinking that's correct. Now, I've got to remember that while I'm in the majority, often the majority is wrong. So I'm constantly building this case as to like, what am I not getting? Not like the, everyone else is a fool. It's like, what am I not getting? And this is the closest I've come to try to make the logic work. Uh, but it's really difficult. So I'm hoping, but then you know, there's a part of me, which is like the underdog part of me, which basically believes that over the next three, four weeks, people will see the light and we will basically have a historic landslide. Yes. Vote him out, people. Yeah. Vote him out. Right. And Richard, so cool to have you here on the show. This Welcome. Is full of, this is full of wisdom. And um, where can people uh, find out more about you? Stick around. Sure. Uh, so the, 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 the three places, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Richard, right? And then RishadSubstack.com is my thing. And then you can get my book, just putting my name Rashad in Amazon or anything else, uh, which, which is which is a key, key, key sort of thing. Um, and and I'm sort of on LinkedIn, I'm pretty much everywhere. And so I like learning from, listening to, and often being told by people how I don't get it. <laughs> Beautiful. We will do. And uh, who should be my next guest? Uh, you know, there are a lot of people that I would sort of suggest. There is a person who is uh, less known, but she's a very interesting lady by the name of Laura Krajaki. Uh, and Laura, for many years, worked as a human insight specialist, insight publicist. Then she did the same thing for five years at Google. Uh, now she's working at Omnicom. And she has this ability to extract human insights from um so she's sort of a human insight strategist and i'm deeply now involved in basically believing that because we choose with our hearts and we use numbers to justify what we just did which sometimes explains what's going on that human insight strategists might show us the way forward so her name is laura krajaki wonderful thank you so much richard for being Welcome. on the show and everybody, go out there and buy the book. Let me show it again. Restoring the Soul of Business. And thank you so much, Rishad. Come back soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks for all your guests for being listening and giving us time. We all know that working in sprints is better. But how do we know what we should work on? You're in luck because we have a 15-minute exercise that will give you complete clarity on where to take your project next. Go to strategysprints.com sales, 
to complete our short exercise and meet one-on-one with an expert sprint coach to identify your number one bottleneck. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Strategy Show. Make sure to like this video below and subscribe so that you can stay up to date with every episode of The Strategy Show. Get daily CEO tips from CEOs for CEOs.